Welcome to the Books We Love, to podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today, it's just Manna and me here in the sunny little meeting room on Valentine's Day. And as a special little gift to you during this season, it's not going to be Valentine's Day anymore, but just try to remember the spirit of Valentine's Day. And as our gift to you, we are going to just share some books that we think you'll like. Books that we're loving yeah. on Valentine's Day. Giddy up. Giddy up, she says. <laughs> so we kind of just put this together pretty quickly. Let's mm-hmm. talk through, I think we're just going to go back and forth and just mm-hmm. recommend books. Mm-hmm. That's nice. We don't do that enough, I think. I think mm-hmm. it's a really nice thing to be able to just kind of talk about books sometimes. Agreed. Agreed. Let's <laughs> <laughs> jump right in. <laughs> Let's jump right in. Do you want to go first? Today? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go first. So the first book that I w- that I'm reading right now is Arrangements in Blue: Notes on Loving and Living Alone by Amy Key. This is a collection of essays by a poet, very quiet, really beautifully written. I think essays by poets is one of my favorite genres of anything. Mm-hmm. If you're the kind of person who wants a book to kind of grab you by the collar and interest you punch you in the face yeah and like oh i have to know what happens kind of reader you Mm -hmm. like that mystery thriller you're probably not gonna like this no if you're the type of person who finds it helpful uh when a writer just sort of analyzes their own life their Mm -hmm. sort of slice of life humdrum kind of life then you'll like this Uh, Something unique about Amy Key is that she is in her mid-40s and she hasn't had a romantic relationship since her 20s and she doesn't have children even though all her friends have kids. Mm -hmm. And so she sort of throughout the book talks about what it's like to be a woman of that age who kind of chose her own path and deviated from that very traditional marriage and children path, which I'm always very interested in. It's a path I didn't completely take myself, but it's one I could have seen myself taking mm-hmm. um so. and she also writes through the lens of of Joni Mitchell's Blue album mm. which is of course everybody's best yeah. album what I liked about her exploration of being a child-free woman is that she's really honest about how for her it wasn't something that she was always completely certain about mm-hmm. she kind of in her late 30s wanted to have kids didn't necessarily work out. She wanted to do it by herself through mm-hmm. a series of events. It didn't really work. And I think there's this tendency for, so I have friends who are mothers and friends who aren't. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this sort of tension there sometimes where we feel like even to ourselves, we have to prove to ourselves that it was the best path. Like mm-hmm. this, you know, mothers will say, you know, non-mothers are missing out on this you know, mm-hmm. big event, and non-mothers will be like, well, I get to live this fabulous child-free lifestyle and have all this money. And it's just sometimes I think a little bit silly because no matter which path you take, you're missing out on something. Mm-hmm. Like there's always, and it's really easy to idealize the other Grass path. is always greener. Totally. And there's pain and joy in both situations, and she's really honest about that, and I liked mm-hmm. that. So again, that was Arrangements in Blue, Notes on Loving and Living Alone by Amy Key. That sounds lovely. Did she write something else like fiction? Because I recognize the name. Mm, I don't think so. I think this is her debut other than her poetry. All righty. Well, since you started with um, something poetical, 
Mm. I'm going to hop to one of mine. Um, So I was introduced to the Michigan artist Gwen Frostick when I was probably 11. My aunt and uncle had a cabin up north. And if you're not from Michigan, up north is kind of like the knuckles and up area of the mitten. And so a lot of folks have cabins, second homes up north. So we used to go to my aunt and uncle's place. And she took us to this lovely, lovely little shop in the middle of nowhere. I think it's Benzonia, Michigan. I actually pulled it up because I wanted to remember. Mm. Yes, it's Benzonia, Michigan. It's not terribly far from like Traverse City, but I can't even remember how long of a drive it would have been. But um, Gwen Frostick was a Michigan artist. She was born in 1906 and she didn't die until 2001. So she was pretty sort of contemporary for Mm. us in our lifetime. Mm -hmm. And um, she was known for her print work, drawing, woodworking, carving, and writing. And in her lifetime, she published, I want to say five or six books, just short books. They're usually like maybe 40 pages. And sometimes she writes like mini, almost like mini essays. Sometimes it's like a thoughtful reflection and sometimes it's short poetry. So I'm showing Olivia the book. So it can be something like that. And then there'll just be pages and pages of illustration. And I loved her illustrations as a kid. She does a lot of nature. So it's like, love that. she has these beautiful flowers. She has trees. She has, um, she drew these just really sweet, gorgeous, the word gentle comes to mind, sort Mm -hmm. of gentle animals that you could see like a really artistic 15 year old doing, but somehow she brings them to life. Like she has this one of a raccoon kind of standing on its back legs with its paws up in the air. And I always like used to joke with my friend and I'd be like, it looks like he got, he was in a stick up and someone was like freeze. And the (laughs) raccoon like stood up anyway. Um, you can order her prints online still. I'm not sure if her Um, her shop is still open. I know they closed for a while recently and I think it was purchased or it was made into like a foundation or something to keep it going. So you can still order. They still have a printing press and they still print her things. You can still buy them online. I used to love to buy her cards and send them to people because they're so reasonably priced and it's a Michigan artist. It was very cool. And the shop was beautiful. It was by a babbling brook and you went inside and you looked up and you could see her printing press was in the back and you could kind of see it. I think it was glassed off so you could see them printing. And when you went in the store all around the walls, there were postcards from all over the world that people sent her to tell her how much her artwork meant to them. So it's just her, her stuff just is I've been very um, nostalgic lately, Mm. Um, so I don't know why, but I just ordered all of her books through Mel, and I've been reading them all week, and truly, you can read one of her books in like 20 minutes. They're not long, but they're just kind of, to me, they're very thoughtful reflections, and my favorite is she has one called My Michigan, and each couple of pages is a little reflection on things that we're known for. Oh, cool. She mentions like our beautiful forest. She mentions the auto industry. And it's interesting because these books were probably written in like the 60s or 70s and to sort of hear that the importance of those things and kind of see where we're at nowadays. Um, But anyway, Gwen Frostick, really anything by her is gorgeous. Just Google her and Google her like her images or her prints. You will just hopefully totally enjoy her adorably whimsical nature and animals. So I would love that. That is amazing. It's gorgeous. I love that. Would you say she's like a Mary Oliver Rita-like maybe with her nature poems? Um, 
Yes, I would put them together, but Mary Oliver is much, 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 much more a writer okay. and much more developed. Okay. Gwen Frostick was more known for her artwork, like her, her prints and her paintings and drawings and her watercolors. But it's lovely to me that she married the two things because she loved yeah. nature so much. She was she focused on both, like mm-hmm. not just this is the beautiful crane that I saw flying overhead. She writes like these little reflections on it too. Okay. So just kind of nice, peaceful, kind of a fun way to read a couple of pages and just sort of center yourself. I was talking to my friends at the historic village yesterday about Mm -hmm. um, people who want books to amp them up, to excite them, like to, you know, those kind of books we were talking Mm -hmm. about at the beginning, the mysteries, the thrillers, the, oh, I got to know what happens. And then books when we want to slow ourselves down and Mm -hmm. calm our brains down like those before you go to bed books when you actually do have to wake up in the morning I've been really into that kind of thing that I just want to slow the whole all the works down a little bit you know a hundred percent and um I think we need that I I'm sure you're like me our brains are just way too busy yeah um I'm trying to see I think the other cool thing that I think if I'm not mistaken that I liked about her when I was a kid was she was unmarried. Because even as a kid, I was like, I don't know about this marriage thing. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I wound up getting married. But as a yeah. kid, I had I had some serious doubts. So Me too. So I liked when I could find strong women that weren't married that I looked up to. That's a theme today, I guess. Well, Valentine's that's why Day. actually while you were talking, I was looking. Because I'm like, I think aside from, you know, talking about people that have these very thoughtful writing styles are both some strong broads, right? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Ready for the next one? Let's do it. I have another nonfiction. Awesome. It's called The Darcy Myth. Oh. Jane Austen, Literary Heartthrobs and the Monsters They Taught Us to Love by Rachel Fetter. Stop it. (laughs) So, so Rachel Fetter is a a professor in Colorado, and she got her PhD in English literature from the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. It makes it sound like a fancy pants book. It is so fun and tongue-in-cheek and funny. It's this sort of fun investigation of Darcy as a character. Mm -hmm. You know, the main thesis is, in the book, Darcy is the literary hero and the heartthrob and the dreamy Mm -hmm. character. But IRL, if we met a guy who is rude to us. Oh, he's such a jerk. <laughs> brooding, insults you and your whole family. I mean, I don't mind brooding, but insulting your family. <laughs> he's such he's an, probably he's such not going to be a millionaire with a heart of gold in real no. life. He's probably just a jerk. That and only happens in like Pretty Woman and yeah. rom-coms. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not realistic. So it's, um, but she's not finger-wagging at us for liking Pride and Prejudice or Mr. Darcy. Sure. It's more this, I love Pride and Prejudice too, and it's been my life's work to investigate literature and these different tropes in literature, mm-hmm. and let's do a fun little investigation together. There's quizzes in the book, like an love Are it. You a Gothic Novel quiz. <sighs> love it. <laughs> there are things like little speculations about Pride and Prejudice, like what would happen if Lydia escaped and Darcy didn't force her to marry her abuser, mm. you know? <laughs> <laughs> what would have happened to her? And um, because she's an English professor, she also weaves in information about, you know, the literary landscape of the time, where this fits in to English literature. Does the, It's lots of little thought experiments around Pride and Prejudice. And mm-hmm. she did this thought experiment around what if it's actually a horror novel? So what if 
this character is like a ghost and like the three sisters mary kitty and lydia are like the three witches <gasps> and like what a oh. and so how in a weird way it sort of borrows from these horror tropes too even though it's ostensibly a, a romantic interesting comedy. really if you love well, jane austen of, read all that stuff though right so she might have been inspired by it she might have just been really good at like hiding her shout outs yes could not think of a better expression than shout outs <laughs> yeah speaking of caffeine i have not this oh. is not processed yet Catch up, my i dear. usually drink a full cup before i come in and then go to this but it's good over here in caffeine nirvana. It yeah. is. I'm jealous. I'm not there yet. My, <laughs> my neurons are firing super slowly today. <laughs> but yeah, so I, if you love Pride and Prejudice, I think you'd like the book. If you're not that into it, I still think you'd like it. Can I ask you this, Olivia? So we're going to be recording an episode about Bridget Jones's diary. Oh, right. Which is a nod slash retelling of um, Pride and Prejudice, where you... Did, did that come into your consciousness no. when you check this out? That's Weird. so funny. I didn't think about that until you were right unintentionally now. prepping. So that is The Darcy Myth by Rachel Fetter. I love that you chose something that was has a lot of depth to it because mm. it's going to counterbalance my next I mean, do you want to see the series. picture of the cover? I do. I do. Because it's really not that deep. It's like, like oh God, literary quizzes and fun It's like stuff. a drawn Darcy it's like a pink. pencil, pencil pen drawn, Darcy. Yeah, That's a lot fun. of <laughs> <into> the <laughs> microphone. Potato chips. <laughs> um, so I had the flu recently. And fortunately, before I was home almost for a full week sick with the flu, I always every week take home a million books. Mm. My husband loves it. Not mm. really. He's mm. always like, oh, my God, did you finish the last ones? And I was like, listen, mm. I didn't get married for judgments mm -mm. or I got married for love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... I have, again, been feeling super nostalgic lately. So before the flu came upon me and wrecked my body, I had taken home Arnold Lobel's Frog and Toad series, Sweet. which there were four of them. And they were all written in the 70s, except the last one was either written in like 79, maybe 81. So they're all right before I was born. And still, you know, the 70s and 80s, we did not see the mass amount of publishing for children stuff like we do nowadays. Mm -hmm. It was definitely more than the generation before, but um, it was very popular in my school, I believe, because I remember one of our teachers recommending it. And, you know, we see that trend here at Troy where all of a sudden we'll have yeah. 30, 40 kids coming in and all asking for Mercy Watson yeah. or bad guys or something or get Geronimo Stilton, some kind of like chapter book where it's like, Oh, where did you, I always ask them, Oh, are you already reading this? No, this will be my first one. Oh, where did you hear about this? You mm -hmm. know, I'm curious if it was an older sibling, if it was whatever. And, um, we will see this huge influxes of popularity of things or checkouts at least, um, when teachers recommend things. So good job teachers, yeah. grown ups for recommending things, passing along a love of a series, um, so Frog and Toad is a, we keep them in the reader section. So they're the books that when your children are starting to read independently, um, they could navigate these. I think they're like a reading level two. We do pre one, one, two, three, four. Pre one and one are for the really beginners. Two is when they're more confidently reading on their own, etc. Um, I think these are like a two. So they have big font, not complex sentences, 
And just the most beautiful stories about friendship. So frog and toad are a frog and a toad, obviously. And the stories just follow what they do on an average day in their lives. And it's the cutest things. Um, You know, there's this one where it's about, I think it's called frog and toad all year. And every, so there's four chapters in the book and each chapter is about what they do in a season. So it might be flying a kite. It might be going swimming and they're just so adorable. In the one adventure, they make fun of um, Frog because his bathing suit is pretty ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's just like silly. They're just the silliest stories. But as an adult, you can read them. They just made me smile when I was absolutely feverish and feeling terrible. Yep. There are definitely some moments that you identify with as an adult. Like um, Toad does not want to leave his house during the winter. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, I would rather stay in bed all day. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel that so deeply, friends. Um, so if you're looking for some really sweet, sweet stories to read with your children, um, they're geared towards, you know, probably four to seven. But I'm a firm believer that adults should read more kids' books because they are just chill and so sweet. And we yeah. need more of that in our lives as adults, I think. So there's four books. Um, I pulled up Goodreads so I could say what the titles were. And it's going to take me because I'm going to have to be on Well, I just want to say I love the bucolic, dare I say, like a hobbit mm. energy that you're bringing with yes. these books. Yes. And they're cozy. super, they're super cozy. And it's sweet, too, because the colors are super muted. Yeah. Um, Arnold Lobel wrote them, but he also illustrated them. And he did, you know, like Frog and Toad are green and then Toad's like a green-brown, like almost like an olive khaki weird mix. And there's a lot of white space on the pages, which I like that when I was a kid. I did not like overly busy yeah, illustrations because too. I feel like your brain needs a break to digest the text mm-hmm. and look at the picture. So lots of fun white space, but the way he uses the white space with the illustrations is great. Um, so if you want to read them in order, Frog and Toad Are Friends is number one. Number two is Frog and Toad Together. Number three is Frog and Toad All Year, my personal favorite. Mm -hmm. And the fourth and final was Days with Frog and Toad. And these are by Arnold Lobel. And again, they came out in the 70s. They're so popular here in Troy. Um, This is my particular collection I purchased for. They are so popular that we have... I think four or five copies of each still 50 years later, and they still constantly circulate. So when I returned mine I looked and over half of every single one was checked out so Mm. that's something something enduring and what I would consider a classic so frog and toad which one are you I am a hundred percent a mix um, 100% 100% mix. mix like I have my toad moments where you know I'm feeling like moody and broody okay. um, but I also have my frog moments where I'm like come on let's go do something fun so it kind of depends on my day yeah me too it sounds it like these are like the highs and lows of my mood they're the highs they're totally the highs and lows of mm-hmm. adulthood I feel like because okay. like I'm totally like a toad when I'm like I don't want to go to work because it's cold and I'm tired because I stayed up too late watching a murder documentary but then when it's the weekend and i'm gonna see my friends i'm a full frog i'm like let's do it i'm hopping around i'm energetic i'm positive and i also love how frog is positive toad tends to be more muted not necessarily always negative but a more muted character sun energy and moon energy yes and it's Mm -hmm. sweet because i think their characters and their friendship shows kids that it's okay to be either or a little bit of both yeah and it doesn't beat you over the head with the messages it's just freaking sweetness just without being saccharine i love that i'm gonna read that on vacation i think you're welcome
All right, so my last one today is Good Material by Dolly Alderton. Dolly Alderton mm-hmm. is like my favorite writer. I was about to say, we've talked about her before on the I podcast. I talk about her all the time. She's like, I just think she's so cool. She is a columnist, a journalist, a podcaster. She also has written a few books. Her first book, Everything I Know About Love, was a memoir of dating in her 20s. Uh, Ghosts was a fiction book, her first fiction book that she wrote a couple years ago. And then this, Good Material, is a sort of following the same theme of relationships. This is about a 30-something failing comedian named Andy. So it's from the from a male perspective mm-hmm. where he, at the very beginning of the book, is reeling from a heartbreaking breakup with his girlfriend and he's in what his friend calls the madness where he's just kind of spinning out after this Mm -hmm. breakup um i think people who have had really rough breakouts breakouts that too that too (laughs) adult adult acne is real folks (laughs) Uh, people who've had really rough breakups will recognize this sort of behavior that he goes through sort of the instagram stalking i call it the high fidelity breakups well i was gonna say if this is such a natural pairing for high fidelity yes Uh, it's different but i think it's a read alike for sure which if you're not catching the reference high fidelity was a book by nick hornby in the 90s yeah i think so early early mid 90s and then it was turned into a fantastic movie with john cusack Mm -hmm. it's set in chicago and it was actually filmed around downtown chicago and it is as much a love song to chicago of the 90s which you do not see that Chicago anymore. They yeah. changed it so much, those old neighborhoods. But um, as much a love song to Chicago as it is about the guy processing like his breakups. Yeah. So not, like, to, not to hijack what you were saying, but that's, I'm, that's all I'm hearing when you're talking. I'm yeah. like, oh, which I want to watch that again. I love it. I know. So I've heard so many interviews with Dolly Alderton and so many reviews of the book where the reviewers act like no rom-com has ever been written from a male perspective, like a straight male perspective. And I was like, have you never read Nick Hornby? Like that's his yeah. whole steve. That's his shtick. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so it's, I think that's a perfect comparison. Isn't that also what About a Boy is about? I think most of his books are that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm like, I've seen the movie. I didn't read that one in particular, but. So maybe they, they are, maybe it's because Dolly Alderton's a woman that it's sort yeah. of a, unusual. But anyway, so um, I thought it was really smart. She's very insightful about interpersonal relationships and she has a, what they call in England, an agony aunt or an advice column where she, I, if you just kind of want to get a taste of her writing, if you look that up, um, you can see how insightful she can be and then kind of get into the book. There are some unique things, uh, I think, about this particular novel. One is that there is a perspective shift almost at the very end of the book. So you get Andy um, sort of investigating what happened, trying to process why this breakup happened, um, sort of navigating what it's like uh, to try and open up to his male friends. I think that part is is a little bit, that's the fresh part of the male perspective, Yeah, is how do men really, I don't know, like how 
do they talk about their feelings with their friends? Do they not? I think it depends on your friendship, maybe. Yeah. He has a real hard time kind of opening up to his male friends and in the same way that we would just sort of naturally It is a mystery, though, isn't it? Because I've asked my husband, you know, like, when you hang out with your guy friends, what do you guys talk about? And he's like, well, you know, like, uh, work and stuff. And I'm like... What is the in stuff? Like, yeah. I want to unpack this. But he doesn't ever want to talk about it. So no. I'm like, okay, it's some weird secret guy thing. I'm like, all right, friend. Steve never does either. He'll play video games online with his friends a lot. And I'll say, how was Eric after they play games together? Know. And he'll be like, I don't know. We were just talked about the game. I was like, you didn't, you didn't ask him how life is? <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw, Man. it always reminds me of, so there's a um, tennis, like tennis nets in the park near my house mm-hmm. what are they? little tennis courts not like pickleball pickleball no, or tennis, just tennis okay yeah and when you said little i was like pickleball because i always imagine pickleball is like this weird tiny thing even though i know it's not. i don't know what it is it's like kind of like tennis okay. it's a mix, i've heard it described as a mix between tennis and ping pong that's we not, gotta get into that's this. not we're gonna try it out my really friend late. said she would teach me she okay. is lovely she works at another library you would enjoy her she's oh perfect Anyway, so I was um, walking through and I saw people playing. They all play tennis. There's like four tennis nets. And so they're all playing. And I saw these two women. Uh Usually people are like trying to win. It's like a competitive, like whipping the ball back and forth across the net. And I saw these two women and they were like gently batting it back and forth so they could continue their conversation while they were doing it. That's what I want to do when I'm like in my (laughs) eighties with my best friend. I was like, don't, don't hit it hard. Just like get it over the net so we can keep talking. I know. Not have to bend down and keep picking the ball up. Right. (laughs) The tennis is like in the background. It's just an excuse to like be outside. I love everything about this game. I know. It's great. So that was good material by Dolly Alderton. That sounds lovely. Mm. Did we each already do three? No. That was my three. Now you have one. Okay. I was like, are we done? Mm -mm. Um, Okay. Last one I'm going to mention, and I'm not going to talk about this too much because there's a lot of trigger warnings with this one about violence and horrible crime. But um, for true crime fans out there, I'm going to recommend this and speak about it pretty sparsely. But um, Michelle McNamara was a writer. She was Patton Oswalt's last previous wife he's since remarried since she passed away um she had uh grown up in chicago and she got um really interested in true crime when she was a kid because a girl in her neighborhood was jogging and she was dragged right off the street into an alley where she was brutally murdered and so that haunted her as an adult and when she moved to california married pat Oswalt, she started getting really interested in true crime and she started one of the first true crime blogs back when blogs were a new thing Mm -hmm. and she got quite a following and she started researching um the uh the series of crimes and it goes by various names and i'm not gonna list any of the names because there's some trigger some trigger warning words and and what this person's crime name was what he was referred to at the time but it's just a serial offender in a variety of different crimes and she started doing all this research and because of her personality um, she was able to approach cops who had worked on these crimes in the 70s and 80s and get them to open up. Wow. And so she started like avidly actively searching trying to figure out how to solve this crime that was at the point of at the time like 40, 40 some years old still unsolved. And over time the cops actually realized that 
all these different crime strings that happened between the 70s and 80s across different parts of southern lower uh, mid to southern California, excuse me, central California, you know, with DNA, they were able to eventually connect and find out it was one guy that had done all these horrible things. So she starts doing the research, talking to the cops, this, that and the other thing. And she died by an accidental overdose. Um, before she finished her research. So um, her research was turned into the book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsessive Search for the Golden State Killer. So the over three quarters of the book was written by her based on her research. And then it was finished by two guys who were helping her with her research. And the book came out in I think 2018. They actually were able to go back and use familial DNA. It was one of the first major cases in the United States. They were able to solve it after almost 50 years because they took some of the DNA and they were able to run it up against um, using familial DNA, which I understand slightly. I'm not going to try and explain it. Google it. It's fascinating. They were able to narrow down who the suspect was with a pool of his relatives. They identified his DNA through a second or third cousin. And were able to narrow it down. And once they had their suspect, they waited outside his house. And when he took his trash out, they took um, some of his garbage. Because once your garbage is at the curb, it's it's public. They took um, his garbage and were able to swab some of his tissues and get his DNA off of it. And yeah. find out that he was, in fact, the Golden State Killer, who we, who we now refer to as a Golden State Killer, who did horrendous things to dozens and dozens, over 50-some people, um, were attacked by him in a variety of ways. Ugh. And his crimes escalated from the 70s to the 80s. So not going to talk about that. Lots of trigger warnings. It is extremely violent. Okay. But if you're a true crime person, the research that went into her trying to help figure this out is fascinating. Mm-hmm. The whole story is fascinating. There was an HBO documentary about it. He was arrested, I think, in 2018 or 2019, not long after the book came out. He was found guilty on over 50 counts. Um, I believe he was given a life sentence for every single victim and life sentence times. I mean, it wound up that he got like something like 20 or 50 life sentences. Some of the crimes were past the statute of limitations, so they couldn't prosecute them. But he got he's in his 70s. He's never getting out of jail. He has no chance of parole. He's going to rot. But, oh, my gosh, the research that went into this was just Amazing. And they got him because of her research? Um, So she had done? You know, there's differing opinions. Some people think it helped get attention and raise awareness of the case. So it got... Um, cops had put pressure back on cops and they started doing stuff. Some some cops say, no, you know, we, it was never a dead investigation. It depends on who you ask. Okay. So at the very least, it's a really fascinating read about the research, her researching and trying to find out more information about the cases and her, her connection with crime as a child. So um, very interesting, yeah. very well written. It reads yeah. like a novel. It's just... Um, fascinating. This is actually the second time I've read this book. So okay, it's and very that's good. I'll be gone in the dark. I'll be gone in the dark by Michelle McNamara. So very, very good. I like that. Um, we didn't get out of here without something that was an exciting book. We had our gentle. We had our chill books, and then we had some more interesting stuff. Yeah, and Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> we we had Frog and Toad, and then we hit you with the Golden right. State. Right. Well, Kelly. I did Frog and Toad when I didn't feel good, and you know, my husband's <laughs> always like, "I know when you're you're feeling better," because then he's like, "You're watching a true crime documentary again, and you're not resting." And I'm like, "That's 100 percent true." Um, 
We all have our signs for when we start to feel better. We do. Do you want to mention real quick a book you're reading currently without going into a huge description of what it is? Because I have one I wanted to mention because we've talked about the series in the past. Sure. No pressure if you don't want to. Well, yeah, you go first. Okay. So just mentioning um, all of my books, I know yours were still kind of things you're reading currently. All of mine were books that I've read in the last couple of weeks. One that I'm currently reading, I literally just started yesterday. It is a it is a tome. It, it is a it is a weapon in war. This thing is like 900 plus pages. Mm. It is, you probably remember, I mentioned um, the Cormoran Strike novels. Yes. It is, they're written by um, the... Um, Robert by Galbraith. Robert Galbraith, which is the pen name for J.K. Rowling um, of Harry Potter fame. This is an adult series. I've mentioned it on the podcast with April from the Friends, right? Um, and I got her oh, reading. Right. I got her uh-huh. reading the series, and she like she is a lickety split reader. She Early. told me how fast she read through them, and and none of these books are short. The earlier ones are not as long, but um, the newest one I think is, oh my gosh, it's like over 900 pages. It is the seventh book in the Cormoran Strike series. It is called The Running Grave. Um, I love everything about these books. I'm not a big mystery um, or crime novel person. That's not my genre necessarily, but it's fun to see that how she's developed the characters over the past six books. This is now the seventh and I'm interested to see where she's going with the series. I think she said she was going to write like 12 books in the series, 10 or 10 or 12. And this is book seven. So we're over the halfway mark and, um, I'm pretty excited. My sister's listening to it right now. So I imagine when I see her soon, we're going to be discussing this book. So I want to read those. The first one's really good. The second one was my least favorite. You got to kind of like push through it. The second one and the sixth one, I really did not like. Okay. Mostly because she did, um, she used social media as part of the story. So you were reading Twitter, um, uh, t- people's Twitter feeds. Okay. And so to me, it's like, I don't want to sit there and read like people's like, you know, Twitter now X, yeah. um, stream of conscious thinking. It's like, that's why I left Twitter. I don't, I'm not there for that, you right. know? So that to me was hard to read. Yeah. It also just wasn't my favorite of her stories. So, yeah. but the majority of them I really enjoy because they are just the crimes you're like trying to figure it out the whole time. I could not be a a, a detective every time I'm like it is definitely this person I figured it out she's trying to do a red herring it's this for this reason it's always the exact opposite person that I think so I am not hanging up my librarian spurs yet to become a cop or yeah. an investigative journalist or anything like that so. no me neither how stressful right okay so the um Something I'll recommend actually is a podcast, The Slowdown by Major Jackson. He is a poet. The Slowdown is just him talking about a poem and then reading it. I prefer poetry when it's read aloud mm-hmm. rather than sitting and reading it. Um, and I like when someone gives me a little bit of context for the poem before I read it. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what the podcast is. Um, I want to recommend the episode with Sarah Audsley. Sarah Audsley is a poet. She came out with a book called Landlock X. And the episode of the slowdown is called On Meeting My Biological Father. And it's a poem, yeah, about um, the book has a lot of poems about adoption and being adopted and kind of contextualizing that and figuring out what that is, is to be an adopted person in the world Mm -hmm. and your relationship with your biological parents, if you have one. Um, 
Major Jackson's wife was adopted, and he talks mm-hmm. about that at the beginning before he actually reads the poem. So it's like you get a little mini essay about Major Jackson, and then mm-hmm. you actually get to hear Sarah's poem. Um, so again, that's the Slow Down podcast and the On Meeting My Biological Father episode in particular. Nice. Did you ever listen to, so I avoid podcasts with famous like celebrity podcaster hosts, kind of like the plague, even though there's some out there where I'm like, oh, I really like that person. I just usually avoid it. Mm. I don't know why. I'm like, hey, you're already famous for movies. Like leave the podcasting world to the rest of us. Um, So I kind of listened with many reservations to um, Anderson Cooper's new podcast. It's called All There Is. I, I say new, but I think it's been around for maybe a year maybe a year because I feel like I was listening to it last fall he this podcast is all about grief okay his um so Anderson Cooper's mom was Gloria Vanderbilt she was um so from the Vanderbilt family really Mm -hmm. I never knew that and um I forget who his dad was his dad passed away when he was very young okay so he had a sense of grief as a child yeah his brother committed suicide when he was Anderson Cooper I think was 18 or 20 and his brother was maybe 22 and so he's had all this really horrible grief in his life and then his mom he was very close with his mom and his mom died I think in the last what five eight years whatever so he finally is going through the boxes of his parents and his family's stuff and he said so he kind of created this podcast to process his grief as he's going through it and he talks about you know how we how we talk about and respond to grief in the united states and our culture yeah and he has different famous people on they're not always famous people sometimes it's like a scientist that studies grief but a lot of times he interviews famous people and talks about grief with them Mm. i had to stop listening to it i was in our office and i will sit there and i'll be typing and i'm like almost sobbing at my desk because it's so beautiful he interviewed like um Oh my God, who was on there recently? They were super powerful. I mean, he had Joe Biden on there talking about his son's death, his his um, first son, I can't think of his name, who passed away from really aggressive cancer. And it's like, no matter where you sit on the political spectrum, that's not what it's about. It is 100% about grief. And Human Joe Biden talking about the grief as a parent and his grief as a spouse when his wife and his daughter were killed um, in an accident back in the... 70s. Joe Biden's? Joe Biden's first wife was killed in a car accident and his daughter was 18 months old, I think. Oh my God. Yeah, his wife, um, they started dating like maybe three years after his wife died. Okay. But yeah, so it's like all these different people talking about their experiences of grief and it is so powerful. And if you have ever lost anybody that's in your like close inner circle, it will just, I think, just resonate with you so deeply. Um, What? Because there is just no grief like that, you know? What an important thing. We don't talk about it enough because we're scared to talk about it. But I don't know why grief is so embarrassing to us in our culture. Things that I wish we could fix in our culture is the way that we handle and process grief and death. Yes. And the way that we do death, I think, is so unhealthy. Like we're so, we, we try really hard to brush stuff under the rug and make it comfortable for everybody else. And it's like, it's a natural part of life. Yes. And also just the way that we treat older people in our society versus like in some Asian cultures where the older people always revered. They're the first person served at the table. They're, they're taken care of when they get old and they can't take care of themselves. They're brought into the family home and they're cared for. And it's like, I wish we could do those things better. Yeah, me too. We've become so whatever we are as a society now. 
It's a bummer. It's so interesting. That to me. Just to me. yesterday we talked about this because we were doing Firekeeper's Daughter. Mm. Oh, yeah, club. I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, at the Historic Village. And I was with this absolute group of legends, this mm. group of women who have been meeting as a book club for 30 years. So they, for, they said 27 years they have been a book club, which I was like, I've never even heard of a book club going that long. It was amazing. And these ladies were like... I was like, can I please join your book club? And they were like, no, stop stalking us. Bye. But I was like, <laughs> someday I'm going to break into that book club because these ladies are my favorite. They're like, don't teach her the secret handshake. <laughs> yeah. She's too young for this. <laughs> they were like, please leave us alone. But I thought they were awesome. And we were talking about Firekeeper's Daughter. And mm-hmm. it's about an indigenous community here in Michigan. Yes. A big part of the book is how much young people revere elders. And they have exactly what you described in Asian yes. cultures too, this respect for elders and um the women were saying at the book club were saying that they thought that that's how it used to be in american culture too but something shifted and we were trying to sort of pin down what that could have been and their hypothesis was that now that people are so mobile and that we don't necessarily live with our families we we move so far from our starting place yes i would i would agree with that that we don't maintain these relationships with old people and then we kind of lose stumble I don't know it could be I thought also maybe like the 60s like when it was like the don't trust anyone over 30 thing like the Vietnam War and people yeah felt like I think people that definitely you couldn't say a lot of stuff was fractured by the Vietnam War right yeah because I, it just we could justify our involvement in World War One and World War Two, and, and Vietnam was just and even Korea, I think, although we don't talk about the Korean War as much, I just feel like those wars, people couldn't get it behind it fully because they're like, let those countries govern themselves if they're not hurting anybody else, right? right. Even though they kind of were, um, not kind of, they were. Um, yes, they but, lost trust. So more people were like, why are we sending all these people to die? Young you know? people. Young people. Young people and like, it's the institution, it's people? the man, it's the adult. So I can see that also being really fracturing kind of. Yeah, yeah, because interesting, the, interesting. So if you know, if you know of any like good resources, because clearly we're not experts on this, but we'd be interested. So to learn far more. from experts on the majority of the stuff we talk about. No, we're, we're not. We're not even experts on the books. We just know a lot about them. Yeah. <laughs> happy Valentine's yeah. Day for us and happy whatever day it is for you. I just kind of wanted to say like how much we love our listeners. Yeah. Because and that, we're, it's been almost two years and we love that we have some listeners that have been with us for this whole journey. And if you wouldn't mind. Angie Craig, I'm talking about you. Ah, Cassandra. Cassandra's a, a regular Cassandra, listener. Sue. Love her. YJ. YJ. All the Tanny. ledge. Absolutely. We have people legends. that have been with us for the whole time and have been such good supports for us and cheerleaders. And if, whether we've mentioned your name or not, if you would be so kind as to help us get the word out a little bit on this podcast, I would be ever so grateful. That could be subscribing, leaving a nice little review, or just sharing with your social networks, whether online or just with your friends or fam. We'd love that. Yes. We would appreciate that. We are grateful for you guys. We send you all so much love out in the universe. And until next time, go read some Frog and Toad.
Get in there. Get in there. Get out there. Get some frog and toad in your life. Hop on over to the library. Oh, you went for it. <laughs> you sure did. Hop on in for a good time. I can't see. I can't use this. What's another word for hop? Leap into your library for yeah. some lovely literature. Yeah. <laughs> I love alliteration. Sorry. We had a good time today. This was fun. We did. Bye, everybody. Bye, friends. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading. <laughs>